Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at blockchain and the art market. Can the technology be used to solve problems of origin, ownership and price? Josh Spiro put this question to Georgina Adam, author of Dark Side of the Boom, Jess Holgrave from Codex Protocol and Anne Bracegirdle from Christie's at the FT's recent weekend festival in London. This is an edited version of the discussion. Anne, perhaps you can tell us how this blockchain technology might apply to the auction world. What sort of things might you see blockchain in? I can give you all a sense of why I initially was really inspired by the technology and what made me passionate about it to begin with, because I'm actually not involved in the technology side of our business. For 10 years, I've been a specialist at Christie's, so essentially, I help people buy and sell art. I've never had anything to do with emerging tech. But in my time, I've worked very closely with clients, and I understand their concerns and their problems very intimately, and I see their frustrations with the market and with how increasingly inaccessible it's becoming. And I've also, at the same time, seen how increasingly important provenance is to their decision of whether or not they're going to purchase something. And I know very intimately that if buyers are remotely skittish about a detail that's not really confirmed about provenance, or they don't know precisely where something's been, or... They've seen this piece sold for $50,000 last week. Why are you telling me it's worth 30 now? That little bit of hesitation will make someone step away and not buy something. So when I learned about blockchain, I thought about the fact that essentially we all share the same pool of clients. Our data is on very different access points. You know, we all have this information and this data accessible on our websites. And essentially, if there were one consolidated place for the history of every piece of artwork that was sold on the art market. If there were one industry-wide registry of property that documented provenance and also consolidated value, then clients could actually understand an artist's market themselves and wouldn't have to rely necessarily on catalogs or physical invoices, et cetera. And at the same time, it could give people an opportunity to access their entire collection in one consolidated place. Thank you. And so we heard about provenance and price. What about in the gallery world and in the sort of broader art market? Jess, what have you seen the sort of applications that blockchain would be useful for? I think there's a huge variety. We have to remember that this is actually a fairly basic technology, although it's mysterious to a lot of us. The applications that it can be used for vary from artists who are using blockchain as a medium to actually produce work, Kevin Abosh is probably one of the best examples, and Ai Weiwei, and he recently collaborated on a project to issue a cryptocurrency which really questioned the value of a work of art and also of a human life in the context of global politics at the moment, all the way through to using digital currencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum and the like, to purchase works. The art world is very global, and doing cross-border transactions can in and of itself be very costly. So even something as simple as using this technology as a payment system, I think, has interesting applications. Georgina, you recently wrote about this. In what guise have you encountered blockchain? I should think I get a new startup that says, we are using blockchain to bring art to the masses, broaden the art market, democratize the art market, enable small investors to make billions out of art. I think I probably get one of those emails about once a week at the moment, probably more. And it's quite interesting because I have a feeling that in many cases, actually blockchain is not fundamental to what they're doing. It's a gadget that has become the hot topic, the buzzword. I think it has very real advantages, particularly for living artists, 
because they can record their work, it fights against fraud, it fights against forgery, it can enable their royalties to be paid, which is one of the very important things. And it's also created, the Dada network has also created a secondary market for works that are digital, which wasn't before because you could just copy it. So the blockchain locks in which are a genuine work if it's a limited edition, even if it's digital. So I think there are really good applications and I think the trouble with blockchain and the art market is at the moment it's being touted as being this sort of incredible golden fleece you know it's going to solve all problems we need to have a sort of healthy skepticism about how far it can go but also acknowledge its real advantages that it can bring and particularly locking in aspects of provenance for example a Rembrandt and now we're talking about older works of art that the fact that it was at one point thought of as a Rembrandt and then it was demoted by the Rembrandt research project that is also interesting information that can be locked in so I think there's a lot that can be done with it but not nearly as much as some people pretend. I'm glad you mentioned the inputs because I think you wrote in a piece recently Artori which is a, an art blockchain company has a vetted list of specialists who verify the information which goes onto the blockchain whereas Codex and Verizart do not have this restriction. One result was that tech personality Terence Eden registered himself as the owner of Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa on Verizart's network and got a certificate to prove it. Now obviously he isn't the owner and annoyed Verizart pointed out that the timestamp alone does prove this but it does highlight a problem in the system as Nana Decking of Artori noted at Christie's garbage in garbage out although he used a more indelicate term. But this is a very important question. How do we ensure a good quality of input? Jess, what would you say? I think it is really important. But in the same way that there is nothing to stop an appraiser writing an appraisal, irrespective of if they're a good appraiser or a bad appraiser, I think having a very closed system where only vetted people can add anything to a blockchain could be considered problematic. If that's concentrated in a very small group, I think actually will perpetuate some of the issues um, of a, this sort of inaccessible and very closed art market that we have today. So at Codex, anybody can add information, but it's possible to reveal your identity. And that's how the art world works today. Transactions take place based on trust and reputation. That's why people may buy higher-priced works from certain auction houses and buy lower-priced works from others. It's why we go to trusted dealers rather than the guy in the pub down the road who's offering you an artwork that he's just found. It's all about reputation. And blockchain can be used in many different ways, but one of the ways it can be used is to verify the identity of people who are documenting and adding this information. And that's really very valuable to us. The art world is not the most transparent of worlds, to put it lightly. The least, you can say. Except when you get things like the Panama Papers and then we learn a lot. What happens if people put in bad information and it's there forever? Okay, so this incorrect information is there, but then you correct it and then people can see. I mean, this happens now, but no one knows it happens. So when this piece first came up for auction in 1985, it was cataloged as ink on paper. And it's not paper, it's canvas. So we amend that catalog when it comes back up for sale, but people don't know that. Nobody knows, none of the potential buyers know. And what they do see though, is they see that, oh, back in the day, this sold for only 10,000. Why is the estimate 80 to 120 now? I don't understand that. And if they had access to see, oh, I see it was originally cataloged as paper and now it's canvas, if they have that ability to see that, then they're more comfortable immediately. They don't have to ask a specialist. 
And I think the real problem is humans misunderstanding what blockchain does. And so this idea that blockchain can solve everything is really the problem here, not blockchain. The idea that because something is on a blockchain, it negates the due diligence required by the person purchasing or selling or interacting with an item is the real problem. The data itself is a helpful tool for you. Jess mentioned that she thinks anyone should have access to put in data onto a blockchain. And Anne, I think you feel differently. You think that actually it should be limited to a number of people. I fear if there's this public system that basically anyone can add property to. Yes, it's up to the buyer to look at that and say, okay, well, I see this is coming from Christie, so I trust them versus this random person. But that seems incredibly overwhelming to me. And I feel like the market is already quite overwhelming and becoming more and more inaccessible. And so in my mind, if, you know, Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, Bonhams, and dealers start to come together and determine, okay, this is the platform we're going to use to create the foundation on which our clients transact. Again, our clients are the same. If we gave one platform, then essentially we maintain the art market structure, but the data is essentially controlled by the key players. And I realize that phrase is problematic because where do you stop, right? So like which regional auction house is allowed to submit data or not? But I do genuinely believe that that is how we should service our clients, having us essentially validate what information is going on, because that's kind of what we do now. This is kind of the experimental stage, right? We don't know where this will go, how it will evolve. But we have the trust, we have the clientele, and we can do this together because it's serving, again, a client base. It's a foundation that should be, like again, like the Internet, like a foundation that we transact on. The third and fifth biggest auction houses, or fifth and sixth, are Chinese. So how does that work out with your vision, which is wonderful, quite frankly? But they could also, I think... they also? Absolutely. I don't see why not. Or they could be interoperable. I mean, what do you think, Jess? I think, actually, the primary market is one of the most exciting things here. So the primary market, just in case anyone isn't familiar with the art term, means direct from the artist and the gallery as opposed to through an auction house, i.e. resale. Yeah, so the initial sale of an item is actually a much more robust use of the technology right now in terms of this idea of authenticity. The idea that an artist can register every work so that you know that past a certain date every work was recorded on a blockchain. If you then get offered the Damien Hirst that isn't, you might raise a question because you thought that after this particular date all of his works did have a blockchain record. So I actually think the primary market is very interesting. And how do three or four auction houses interact with that? Who is to decide which artists are allowed to register works and who isn't? Who is dictating who an artist is? And I think that is why this idea of interoperable and open systems is very, very interesting. And that's the beauty of blockchain systems is that records which exist within one network, which are created by one group of people very shortly, certainly given the sort of technological advances that we're going through, will then be able to operate within other systems. So you can have this world where all sorts of people can add documentation. And at the same time, people can verify information. And those things can coexist. Blockchain has been suggested for use in fractional ownership of pictures. Georgina, talk to us about fractional ownership yes, and how blockchain I th- I has think, been involved yes. in that. I have to declare a, a position on this, is that personally I don't really basically agree with fractional ownership in the sense that I think that purely regarding art as an investment, something that if you buy a fractional ownership, you never even see because it's sitting in a free port. I think that art is better than that and should not become that. However, we live in changing times, and blockchain, according to the startups working in this platform, are selling shares in works of art. And so there have been a number of startups. They use the blockchain to record the transaction. You own a little piece of it, and then 
They say that this way you can, with a small investment, and it can really be very small, if that work gains in value, then you can eventually make some money. So you do not have to be the owner of Leonardo da Vinci's Salvador Mundi, which sold for $450.3 million last year. You know that you too could share in it. Now, the notion of sharing works of art is actually not new because dealers, for example, buy things together all the time. And in fact, art funds... The fund itself buys artworks, and then when they close the fund and sell everything, then you share in the profits. So it's not totally new, this idea. So, so, so that was a bit of a long way to say that I don't approve of this. I'd prefer to buy a work of art that costs, say, a 1000 rather than have a square inch of the garden of earthly delights in the Prado. Jess, do you think that, as Georgina said, that blockchain is just the new sheen on old ideas sometimes? Yes and no. I mean, I think that trading shares of anything, and let's take this away from art for a moment, using blockchain technology is a great way of doing that. But as Georgina said, it's been tried many times in the art market before to do these things without blockchain. And the reason that it, most of them haven't worked isn't because they don't have a blockchain. It's because... Excellent point. It's yeah. <laughs> they haven't failed because they're centralised systems. They failed because there isn't demand for it. And so I think that it's hypothetically very interesting, but I think that, as you said, blockchain has reinvigorated an old kind of idea that perhaps didn't work in the past. That was Josh Spiro talking to Georgina Adam, Jess Holgrave and Anne Bracegirdle at a recent panel discussion in London. We'll be back with more news tomorrow, but in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.